I, I, talking about love, I couldn't help but think to myself when I saw Ash hand over the, the candle lighty gas lighter to his mum. It's like, oh, they shared. That's love, isn't it? Love of a family. There was two candles and they both got a turn. I know if there was two candles last week, it would have been less of a discussion and more of a, I want one too. Isn't that right, guys? Yeah? But no, nah, it's good. Great, great love, guys. Um, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Here we go. Now, Karen and I, back when we first lived in South Australia, and just to quickly put it out there, it's pretty much most of our lives. It was a five-year stint in Victoria. That's gone and dusted. But back when we first lived in SA, we were travelling over to Melbourne for some reason. I can't actually remember why. Karen might remind me later. But as you go to Melbourne, you hit, you hit the road. You get in the car, you go for a drive. After going to Melbourne a few times, we had a pretty good uh, understanding of actually how to get there and what turns to make along the way. But for us, it's always a habit. And I know for Karen especially, always put that GPS or the maps on in the car. Not, not because like we need to know how to get there or anything, but it just gives you this good little idea of how much time is actually left and stuff. It just gives you this... What's that? It was a footy trip. Okay, well, there you go. It was a footy trip. There you go, Lynn. Um, so we get to Ararat. We all know sort of Ararat. Somewhat a little bit past halfway, would you say, Tina? A little bit? Way past halfway. Well, we're, we're three quarters of the way there. So we get to Ararat and the maps tell us, if you've been on the road, you'll already start to twig, to take this left-hand turn off that main road that's going through. And if you know the trip, where they were telling us to take this left turn was on kind of that corner area where the Maccas is, that usual pit stop. Does anyone need the toilet? Yes, no, want some food. And the Salvation Army Hall, they're kind of diagonal to each other, sort of. Which, from memory, that just wasn't right. You don't do that. Like, this doesn't feel right. We shouldn't be turning left. But, but how could the maps be wrong, right? This is technology we're talking about. It should be right. So for whatever reason, I don't know what it was, we took the left-hand turn. We turned left and we kept on driving. We put some faith in this little piece of technology. And that was probably one of the worst travelling mistakes I reckon we've ever made. Yeah? We haven't done a heap of travelling, so I reckon it was pretty bad. And what's that? The road from Ballarat was crazy. And given what happened, though, it could have ended up being one of the most costliest ones as well. But we're driving along long enough now that to turn back would have just been silly. And I know I was looking around and to me nothing was recognisable. I'm like, what have we done? And you know that term, the road less travelled? Have we heard that term before? I'm pretty sure we were on it. Like in regards to getting to Melbourne, this was the road less travelled. Because we were seeing parts of Victoria that we had never seen before. And on this occasion, we just needed to get to our destination. This wasn't a touristy little let's have a little landscape tour I've never heard of until that moment there's a little town called Avocadell but I know it now but the roads were I hear a giggle the roads were far less developed at times and often narrow compared to the main highway which wasn't great either because we just wanted to get there and all we could do was trust the GPS now but even doing that we somehow at one point missed this one left-hand turn, which kind of seemingly came out of nowhere. And in the confusion, what's that? Right hand? No, I reckon it was left. Uh, ran off the road onto this clearing. So, look, whoop, there it is, whoa, thankfully. 
it was about the one clearing in that whole area that didn't have a fence at all and wasn't too bad. Like, we came off pretty much unscathed, which could have been a lot worse. But lesson learned, don't use Apple Maps. This is just like a going into the tech world. Don't use Apple Maps. It's shocking. If you have a smartphone, they might have improved since. Go to Google Maps. It's probably where it's at. That would take you straight through. Um, what we both should have done, I think, is actually trusted what we knew to be right. But for whatever reason, we were persuaded by this one little tiny suggestion that ended up taking us down a path that in hindsight we never should have been on. It was terrible. Advent involves a journey. And it's about preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ and all that he has brought for us. And so last week, as Karen mentioned, and it's on our signpost of where we've been on this journey, we focused last week on hope that Jesus brought and brings still to this very day. But today, as is given away in multiple ways, Today, we turn our focus to love. So we're going to have a look at 1 John verse 4. And we're looking at verses 7 to 12. Thanks, Ash. And it's entitled, in this translation, uh, God's love and ours. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God, and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. What a beautiful thought there. Everyone who loves is fathered by God. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing, sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones, this is all of us, delightfully loved ones, if he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to its full expression in us. What a beautiful set of verses there. 1 John 4. Hold on to that. In general conversation, I think we go down this place with love where we say, we love this, or I love that, and we love so many different things. But do we even understand what love is anymore at its core? Or have we lost the truth behind love altogether? Because I'm here to bring us back to the reality that truth and love go hand in hand. And stay with me. To separate the two actually leads us down a confusing path of vagueness and openness that can and often has separated us from the type of love that actually God intends for all of us, for everyone in this world. And this word love has become so casual these days and it's used so flippantly that it has diminished the actual importance behind what love actually is. And when you read and delve into understanding Scripture, it doesn't surprise me that our friends, the Greek people, 
had different versions to help them express their own love, but more situationally specific. They actually broke this word love down into different words, and we've mentioned this before, and I'm going to have a little revisit on some of them because we could probably learn a thing or two from our Greek friends. Agape, we've probably heard that one. I just realised it's a Greek friend up the back. Agape, which is one you'd probably recognise. You may have heard agape or agape. Refers to love like sibling love. Not always the best of loves, but it's there. It's always there, even though there's Barneys. It also speaks to this concept of unconditional love like that that God has for us. Like we'll make mistakes with each other, but truly at the end we love each other and God truly loves us. And then there's one called philia, and I I remember talking about this earlier this year. refers to friendship-type love, the idea of having a sense of equality between each other. And then there's another one called eros, which goes a bit further as it refers mostly to love involving a lot more passion, let's put it that way. And it can probably be reserved, this one, for couples and things like that, all right? And then there's one that I hadn't even heard of, so not that I'm the font of all knowledge, um, but storage. I hadn't heard of that personally myself, refers to affection like the type of love between parents and their children. So if we are to understand love again at any kind of level, one option for us is we can simply adopt these Greek words and start using them. I filiate you or I stored you and all, all that sort of stuff. And reshape our own vocabularies so that we can then reshape how we even understand love. Or we could just start to reflect on this concept, this idea, this well, reality that is love and then how it mirrors God and his love for us and let that shape us. Because globally, I had a look to see where, as a value, love ranked. And these days, love actually sits... Where where do you think? Do you reckon it's in the top 50? It is. But where do you reckon? Just shout out a number. Where would love... Do you think love would rank? Three, first. Any other takers? Five. Blow your mind. 24th. Love sits as a value across the world... And it's different to the continents as to where these values sit. And this is like family and all sorts, religion, spiritual life, lots of different things. But love actually sits in position 24. Even though God elevates love to the highest position, number one, whoever said number one, like top three, let's go, number one. The highest position of importance within our lives, even over these hope and love. And when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we see that, and the greatest of all of these, faith, hope, and love is love. Yet worldwide, we sit it in 24th position. If I got 24th, I'd probably think I haven't done enough work to maybe do a bit better. If we have lost the importance of love, if we aren't being love and showing love in its truest and purest form, then we have also lost God as our highest priority. That's a reality that we simply have to face. Love is becoming so confused, so watered down, because we are separating love and truth from each other. We're making our own rules about truths about it, and we are letting the enemy dilute truth and love 
and all that's being achieved is confusion that leads us down this slippery slope of being subtly persuaded constantly in the direction of a world that loves without the truth of what love actually is and who love originated from and who it is made complete through. Truth and love cannot be separated. When you have love without truth, what it produces is liberalism. And liberalism, when we're taken too far, becomes selfish, but can look pure because it says it is intending to the rights of the individual, okay? We all want to feel loved and accepted, right? I would assume we all want to feel loved and accepted, correct? I would hope so. If, oh, I want to speak to you if you don't feel that way. But that feeling of love and acceptance can't come to simply please every passion and choice that we make as mere humans because we need to be founded in Christ. When we tend to every whim of the individual and then call it love, it actually turns a blind eye to the hard realities of sin and evil within human life. It focuses on, when we go down this path, it focuses on glowing proclamations of sweetness and light that we label love. And it can look innocent and caring and intentional. But the often subtleness of sin sits and bends love to hold truths it never intended to hold or exist within. And in other words, without some boundaries and understanding of what true love is, the truth behind who love comes from and originated through God, then we can go off loving all sorts of things and making them in a sweetness entitled love that only serves to persuade, distract, cause confusion for each and all of us. And then there's the other side. So we're saying we're not separating love and truth, right? So what does love look like when we only focus on truth? Truth without love. To emphasize truth or factual understanding of love at the expense of actually going about loving all that goes to do is produce a cold, hard, a too concerned with the rules and details attitude that despite holding to the right belief structure possibly, all the understandings of what love is actually is as empty of genuine Christian life and love without this truth. It's just as devoid, like love without truth or truth without love, they're just as lacking in genuine Christian love and life that God intended that one is the other. Again, to try and put it more plainly, we can know the truth about God and his love for us. But if we don't then go about showing it and adopting it truly for ourselves, we've basically missed the point. We certainly aren't ascent people in that moment. And that is a modern day Pharisee. Worse yet, we don't want to be those informed Christians who then breathe down the neck of people or other Christ followers with all the ideals of how to love, but then are completely void of the practical exampling of love for ourselves. Because there's actually no point at all knowing about love and then not showing it. Do we even know it? I go as far to say, Love is under attack. And we need to be careful because for the enemy, there's a reality of we serve a victorious God, but there's an enemy who's trying to get in the way and in between us 
for him, for the enemy. It is as simple as overemphasizing a truth, making it a half-truth or a slight deviation, a wrong turn on love that may even be hard to recognize at first or even be a very well-crafted, full distortion on an aspect of truth that just serves to disrupt us. And all the evil one needs to do in order to warp Christianity is to produce one without the other. Love without truth or truth without love. The enemy is tackling the world's ideas of how of, of love head on and giving it all new truths. And it's actually a distorted reality being shaped by tricks and pleasantries. Don't get lost in it. And unfortunately, in many cases, even the church, I shouldn't say even the church, the church has failed with its knowledge and truth. And this is where it is the truth without love, about love, failed with the truth and the knowledge about love to effectively then go and show that love first without falling into judgment at times or practically outworking that love. It's a distorted reality because one's existing without the other. Love is under attack. I'm going to stop for just one minute and highlight something from our, a little bit further in our text from today, from 1 John 4, that shows up in verse 16 before we go on. And it goes on past, we finished at verse 12, saying in verse 16, God is love. And we believe the Bible to be true and right, correct? Yeah? That's the most murmurs I've heard, and I really... Thank you for that in that moment. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. So if God is love and love is under attack, then who's under attack? God is under attack, and quite rightfully, us who follow Christ and follow God are as well. You're not wrong there, Barry. It holds no surprise to me and it shouldn't to anyone here today that as I say this, the very thing that God is, God is love, and the very thing that God holds as the greatest of things for us to understand and own is the very thing that is being attacked, is being distorted, is being diminished and diluted in our lives and within this world. But it cannot be defeated because our God is victorious, amen? Amen, thank you. We serve the living God who is love and holds love for each and every one of us, regardless of whether we know it or not. We just need to get back to the truth. And what is the truth? In the Gospel of John 14, verse 6, Jesus goes ahead and answers this one himself. And it says here, I am the way. Do we know it already? I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. God is love. Truth and love go hand in hand. To separate one from the other only leads to confusion and a misrepresentation of what love truly is. Our Advent journey leads us to the moment when Christ comes to earth in the form of a vulnerable, a very different way than they expected, a vulnerable, humble, innocent baby as God's ultimate gift to us. And that was just the tip of the iceberg in a way of what that ultimate gift was. 
God could have easily ruled from a place of power and authority, which there's a bit of irony in that statement because he still does and he still did. But for us humans, for God to actually go ahead and send his son, Jesus Christ, to be human amongst us was the single best way to have us relate to the Father and to learn from him as to what love looks like in human form. When someone examples something to you in person, it's far easier to understand, right? We can hear about it, but when we see it, when it's right there in front of us, that's really helpful. His love chose to relate to us. No better way to relate to us than by having a ticking heart right next to alongside you in the human form, right? Flesh and bone. It spoke to us at a level that we could go ahead and understand. And just because it was some 2,000 years ago doesn't make it any less relevant today. I don't know about each of you, but I always learn best from something being practically in front of me. It's kind of like that idea of a uni learner or a TAFE learner and a trade learner and stuff. I probably sit, I float across, but I really love this idea of getting into the practical I like to learn from the people around me and get my hands on things and I'll probably get too close at times. It was scary for my foreman at work sometimes. But also when using big tools, but also through associating with others. You just have to discern the times when this is helpful or it's a hindrance. The Spirit will guide. Trust it. For the disciples, I think of the phrase, we are the company that we keep. And imagine just how much personal formation must have happened for them as they simply followed and learnt from the truth of Christ daily. I could only imagine. How are we walking in step with Christ daily ourselves to go about learning from him and be shaped by him today? Because Christ is love, part of the Godhead. God is love. Christ is love and truth. Our faith is not genuine unless our love is realized in the truth of God, the incarnate Jesus Christ and the example he lived out during his earthly ministry. Because our faith is not seen if we aren't showing the genuine love of Jesus to those around us. Our love is not pure unless it is shaped by the truths of Christ, exampled within scripture, undistorted love. God's love reaches its ultimate and final conclusion when it becomes visible in us. It is a fruitless thing. It is incomplete. And therefore, it's unreachable. It can't be understood by others until it finds its manifestation, until it comes out within a living human being, flesh and blood, alive again, through you and me. This is why we're trying to be Jesus-centered, Christ-focused. It's not realized until it comes out in flesh and blood alive again in you and me. And again, it's no surprise that, here's a name you'll know, Mother Teresa is seen as one of the most faith-filled people in history when she quotes, well, there's so many quotes, but this quote in particular says, I see God in every human being. When I wash the leper's wounds, I feel I am nursing the Lord himself. Is it not a beautiful experience? I think that right there is a woman who understands the truth, who understands Jesus, 
and the truth of love, love that comes from and through the Godhead, love that we are all called to share in, everyone, love that was brought to this earth for us to learn from so we could understand it firsthand, love that directs us to see God as the source of love and drives us to love like Christ loved as well, sacrificially, humbly, vulnerably, could go on. We either know God or we don't. And what that means is we either know love or we don't. I'm not saying that to you. The scriptures are saying that to us. There's no shortcut to knowing God's love as it comes through knowing Christ. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. In verse 9, it says for us, The light of God's love shined within us. And in another translation, it's always really cool. Phones are great for this because you can flick between translations really quickly. But if you're reading scripture and you have that means, have a look at a different translation and read through it. Because it can really enlighten some things for us. It will speak to you in different ways, but in the same way. The light of God's love shined within us. And in this other translation, it says, God's love was revealed among us. And in the Greek, the word revealed is phaino, which means to shine light. When he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. So God sent his son out of his own true love for us. He created us initially out of his love for us. But then he sent his own son out of his own true love for us, literally shining light on what love truly looks like because of his deep love for us all. That is the love that we celebrate. That is the truth that God wants us to know. That we each were at the very centre of this Christmas story. Hope, first week, came into this world through the truth that is Jesus and his example of true love for all to witness and to experience. Not just to see, but to experience. God has given his love to us, and we then actually owe it to him to adopt and show that love back to him, but even more importantly, show as an example to others the love that we understand that comes complete in knowing the truth of love and knowing Christ. Verse 11. Delightfully loved ones. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. This is verse 12. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to its full expression in us, the flesh and blood, the showing, the experiencing, the going out. How many times have we said, I owe you to a friend? Oh, I owe you. Hey, do you have a spare $5? I owe you. Can you drop me off here or there? I owe you. Can we see what Christ has given to us. Don't we owe it to him to accept that gift for one? 
but then to also show that same love to others. I would say that's our IOU in this whole situation because we literally owe it to him. We owe our all to him. Loving one another should be our way of life. Verse 11, 1 John 4. Should be our way of life. We owe it to God out of everything that he has given to us. And that is why we give back through our tithing as well. Jesus gave his all, his life, out of that love. We are called to love each other out of appreciation and respect for that sacrifice done in account for our lives so others can experience that same joy and hope that comes through salvation that we now understand. We need to hold truth and love together. Because there's plenty of things that are sugar-coated at Christmas time, especially at this time, but we cannot sugarcoat the truth of love. Jesus is truth, and he shows us the way to love. I'm going to read verse 10 again and let it sink in for us all. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He provided it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. There it is. Right there. The truth we can't separate from what love truly is. It was his love, not ours. It is his love that began the world as we know it. It is his love that constantly pursues us right from day one, through Adam and Eve, to Noah, to the Israelites, to us today, every time we make a mistake or misunderstand love as God intended it. It is his love that saw Christ come as a baby to grow up with us and then show us the way, the truth, the life, and how love should be shown. It is his love that, despite knowing all, sent his son Jesus to show us true love that would always culminate in Christ becoming the ultimate sacrifice for us all. It is his love that continues to call to us to know love, to know Jesus for ourselves, and to come to the Father, gifting us the companion Holy Spirit to guide us through our everyday lives. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. But do you know love? To know love is to know God. To know God, we must learn from the truth that is Jesus. So in preparing today, I came across this stuff, information, right up. And I felt they were some really good questions that any one of us might be working through when we think about God's love for us and actually where do I sit? And there's six of them, I believe. Let's have a look. Yeah, six. God's love provides the answers. Why was I created? Any one of these questions you may have thought recently, historically. Why was I created, number one? To receive and experience God's love. Two, does God care about me? God's love is indiscriminate. He loves everyone and cares about every detail of our lives. Three, am I really free to choose or reject God's love? Yes. Love must be a choice. 
freely and without compulsion. How do I receive salvation? What is the way? Love became a man, Jesus Christ, who died as our sacrificial offering and by believing in him. By believing in him, we receive the gift of salvation. How can I really know that I am saved? I've had that question for sure. When we respond with faith to God's loving invitation and then demonstrate it by loving others, we have the assurance of our salvation. And how can I know that God loves me? Number six. His love prompted him to send his unique and beautiful son to earth to be our saviour and redeemer. He offers to everyone the invitation to experience even deeper measures of his love. And he gives us his Holy Spirit as confirmation that he loves and cherishes us and gives us the power to love others. Do we need a letter in our letterbox when we get home from God saying, I invite you to my kingdom? Do we need that practical thing? Is that what we're looking for? It's in our Bibles. It's right there. He's inviting us. He wants us to know that love for ourselves. Love might be under attack in this world, God's kingdom being under attack in this world, and the enemy will try everything to get between us, and by golly does he give it a crack. And God, in even the most subtle of ways, trying to get in the middle. But we hold the knowledge through the truth that Christ came to earth and ultimately sealed the victory, amen, through his love put on full display on the cross in favour of all of us. Believe and rejoice in that. The gift of love we are invited to receive this Advent is actually a gift that is there for us to receive each and every day. God's love. I urge each of us here today to recommit to believing wholeheartedly that Christ died for you because his love is intended for us. It longs and it urges us to know that truth for ourselves. So let the love of the Father transform us each afresh today so we can show that same love in this community and to the people we know, not just this Christmas time, but always.